Good evening. We're on the eve of a full moon. Moon shines without preferences. It can be seen in a leftover puddle from the spring rain, in the majesty of the vast ocean, and reflected in our eyes as we gaze upward, joining what Soen Nakagawa Roshi called the nose hole society. The moon enters our eyes and we are one with the whole universe. The poet Rumi wrote in Coleman Barks translation, spring overall, but inside us, there is another unity. Behind each eye here, one glowing water. Every forest branch moves differently in the breeze, but as they sway, they connect at the roots. And Shoto Harada Roshi wrote, when we are one with the world, we can do nothing other than love the whole world completely. So coming from that oneness, that love, we can recognize each individual's inherent worth and beauty. And simultaneously, every individual's pain. And our practice requires us to hold both to keep our eyes open, to see everything without flinching. We know how difficult that is when our self-protective impulse is to erect a shield to look away, 
to cover it over. But, you know, we're living in a time when nothing can be hidden anymore. As we say in Buddhism, nothing happens by accident. The coronavirus as a manifestation of the climate crisis. The legacy of genocide and slavery. The devastation of the economy, even as a few are profiting from a rising stock market. These are interrelated causes and effects. Everything is exposed. Many people of goodwill have begun to recognize how their previously subterranean racism and unacknowledged privilege operate and how remaining silent about injustice perpetuates it. Today was George Floyd's funeral. The protests going on since his murder have spread far and wide. And the best way to honor him and the countless others who have lost their lives to bigotry in all its forms is for us to be witnesses to each other, to be completely present, to stay aware and awake, even in the midst of overwhelming emotions. Roxane Gay wrote in Sunday's New York Times, like many black people, I am furious and fed up. Eventually, doctors will find a coronavirus vaccine, but black people will continue to wait 
despite the futility of hope for a cure for racism. The rest of the world yearns to get back to normal, she wrote. For black people, normal is the very thing from which we yearn to be free. I was looking at some notes I made four years ago. On December 18, 2016, just after Trump's election, and I said, okay, we're going to practice with a motivation that we've never experienced before. Let's not get hooked by emotional reactivity. Allow the feelings, but sit with them. Drop down, be this breath. Just this moment, unfolding as it is. And when we can really come from this, we can respond fully to the demands of our time. We were worried back then. We couldn't even imagine what has happened since. So in my notes, I said, we can't say, well, the election's over, all right. Let's just get back to business as usual. There's no usual to get back to because civil liberties are going to be trampled. It's starting already. That was 2016, one month after the election. And I noted that George Yancey, a philosophy professor at Emory University and the author of Black Bodies, White Gazes, and Look, a White, had just been put on something called the Professor Watch List. an effort to threaten him, shame him into silence. How many know about this list? How many professors are on it? Of course, it reminded me of the McCarthy era of blacklisting. 
So Yancey wrote something in the New York Times. He said, honestly, being a black man, I had thought I had been marked enough as bestial, as criminal, as inferior. I have always known of the existence of that racialized scarlet letter. It marks me as I enter stores. The white security guard never fails to see it. It follows me around at predominantly white philosophy conferences. I am marked as different within that space, not because I am different, but because the conference space is filled with whiteness. It follows me as white police officers pull me over for no other reason than because I'm black. As Franz Fanon wrote, I am overdetermined from without. So Yancey said he wants his students to engage in the process of freeing ideas, freeing their philosophical imaginations. I want them to lose sleep over the pain and suffering of so many lives that many of us deem disposable. I want them to become conceptually unhinged, to leave my classes discontented and maladjusted. You can see what a dangerous professor he is. Maladjusted. In 1963, Reverend Martin Luther King declared, I say very honestly that I never intend to become adjusted to segregation and discrimination. I never intend to become adjusted to religious bigotry. I never intend to adjust myself to economic conditions that will take necessities from the many to give luxuries to the few. I never intend to adjust myself to the madness of militarism to self-defeating effects of physical violence. So here we are. It's June 4th, 2020. And we too must refuse to adjust to some untenable and oppressive normalcy. It's been going on for far too long. We must accept the discomfort 
of seeing what needs to be seen without closing down. This, after all, is the wide open, genuine heart of our practice. This is what we do every day at home, in our little rooms, just sitting, chanting, sitting. Might be a corner of your house, your apartment, on a cushion or a chair. It might be as we are now in front of our computers, our phones, but still just sitting. And this is what creates the space for authentic change, for radical transformation within and without. But it takes great courage. In her book, Taking the Leap, Pema Chodron writes that Chungyam Trungpa Rinpoche, her teacher, described practice as being completely present. And he said, it's not a vacation from irritation. Now we might think that if our practice is correct, then we don't feel negative emotions. But guess what? We do feel them acutely. We just don't get caught up in self-absorbed narratives about them. And she writes, returning again, and again, to the immediacy of our experience, to the breath, uncovers a complete openness to things just as they are, without conceptual padding. It allows us to lighten up and to appreciate our world and ourselves unconditionally. And it also allows us to step out of our perceived comfort zone, which never brings true peace. A good example is case 46 of the Mumon Khan, the gateless barrier. Sekiso Soen, who received transmission from Funyo Zensho, asked, How can you proceed on 
from the top of a hundred foot pole. And Cho Shakation, who was a disciple of Nansen Pugan, along with Joshu Jushin, said, You who are sitting on the top of a hundred foot pole, even if you have attained something, you are not yet genuine. You must step forward from the top of the pole and show your whole body throughout the ten directions. Sitting in deep samadhi at the top of the pole, experiencing vast spaciousness, timelessness. How splendid the bell rings, the siren screams, but we don't want to move. We tell ourselves there's nothing to do. Just booty. And yet, even if you have attained something, you are not yet genuine, Chosha says. We cannot remain there. We cannot dwell anywhere. The mind that abides nowhere, as the Diamond Sutra puts it, is the mind that acts briskly and dynamically when engagement is needed and refrains from meddling when it is not. Samadhi is not paralysis, okay? It's not avoidance. It's realizing the simultaneity of fundamental oneness and all phenomena. So embodying fully, embodying that top of the pole samadhi, when called upon to respond, we take a step. If we don't, if we stay literally above it all, 
above the suffering beings below, detached from anything that might disturb us. Where is our Bodhisattva vow? We can't be content with a scenic overlook. We can't afford to space out. We must be genuine. We gotta make it real. So spurring ourselves on, we leave the great height of attainment and fall into the muck and mire of ordinary existence, which is where we must function. This is true humility of the Eightfold Path. It's the messy stuff of everyday life. And right in the midst of it all, we show our body in the ten directions. Mumon said in his comment to this case, if you can proceed on from the top of the pole and turn your body all about, there is no place where you are not the master. And then he says, be that as it may, how will you step forward from the top of the hundred foot pole? Hey! Turning your body all around, manifesting everywhere, responding in all directions. We give freely and fully. We hear all cries. We see all suffering. And with no self in the way, we find Kanzeon is working freely through each one of us. And we find that every step we take is that step off the hundred foot pole. Each step down the hallway, each step along the trail is 
an authentic step. We don't need GPS. We don't need a map on the eightfold path. Your true self is your guide. You know what to do. You are the master of circumstances. Believe this. And then you can answer Mumon when he asks you, how will you take that step forward? Hey. And I think we can all say enough already. Enough. Let's do it.